The following podcast is not for children and contains discussions of adult themes. In addition, this particular episode discusses fat phobia and parental neglect. Listener's discretion is advised. And remember, listeners, the dreamiest thing you can do is listen to your own needs. Welcome back to the Three Little Words podcast, where we read and rate your favorite romance novels on steaminess, dreaminess, and memeiness. I'm Nicole. And I'm Claudia. And today, we will be discussing Shipwrecked, a novel by Olivia Dade. Claudia, initial thoughts? This book was really, really long. Yes. Those are my initial thoughts. This book was fucking long. Yes. (laughs) I can't even give... A proper like review of this book because half of my review of this book is just it was long it was like 200 pages longer than it needed to be yeah we'll obviously get more into this as we go through the book but like there were a lot of things that at first i was like oh this is cute this is fun this is funny and then because the book was so long a lot of it like lost its appeal yep. <laughs> over the course of the book where I'm like, all right, like I don't care about this anymore. Like that being said, I thought it was a fun read, but yes, it was it was long. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I've never had a book on this show before where I started out kind of liking it and then it actually wore out its welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the books we read on here that are long, either we like it and we don't really comment or talk about how it's very long or we don't talk about that as a negative or they're books that we hate already and we're like this book is pointless you could rip out more than half of it and not lose anything Mm -hmm. this book is fine yeah but i don't know you could have taken out several of the parts where they just like have you read an excerpt of a of a like real person fan fiction (laughs) or like all the all the weird crosstalk between their castmates and things. I'm gonna be real. I skimmed through a lot of that. Oh, uh, see, I listened to the audiobook like a fool. Oh. So I was I was sitting there playing Hitman Three and <laughs> choking a guy out while just hearing like all these fanfic tags. <laughs> <laughs> Born with plot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, there was like a hurt comfort tag, and I was like, oh real i will say though that the ao3 references did kind of tickle me as um a fic writer (laughs) and reader they are funny (laughs) but yeah i you stated it perfectly that this it overstayed its welcome there were so many things i really liked at the beginning i'm like oh this is so fun and then i'm like all right like it's getting played out what I kept finding myself comparing it to was the Marvel movies mm. where it's like, oh, okay, like these are fun and whatever. But then it's like now you have this formula that they're sticking with and it's like, I'm so tired. I'm tired of this very Marvel specific humor that I can like identify now because it's its own thing. And that's what mm-hmm. I felt like this developed, like its own like very specific brand of humor that just like over the course of the book got really old really fast 
Yeah, the book is just a sight to behold. That's for sure. But that being said, there are a lot of good things about this book that I will mention. But before that, let's read the back of the book. After all the feels and spoiler alert, Olivia Dade once again delivers a warm and wonderful romantic comedy about two co-stars who once had an incredible one night stand and after years of filming on the same remote island are finally ready to yield to temptation again. Maria's one night stand, the thick thighed sexy Viking of a man she left without a word or a note just reappeared. Apparently, Peter's her surly Gods of the Gates co-star, and they're about to spend the next six years filming on a desolate Irish island together. She still wants him, but he now wants nothing to do with her. Peter knows this role could finally transform him from a forgettable character actor into a leading man. He also knows a failed relationship with Maria could poison the set, and he won't sabotage his career for a woman who's already walked away from him once. Given time, maybe they can be cooperative colleagues or friends, possibly even best friends, but not lovers again, no matter how much he aches for her. For years, they don't touch off camera, but on their last night of filming, their mutual restraint finally shatters and all their pent-up desire explodes into renewed passion. Too bad they still don't have a future together since Peter's going back to Hollywood while Maria's returning to her native Sweden. She thinks she needs more than he can give her, but he's determined to change her mind. And he spent the last six years waiting, watching, wanting. His shipwrecked Swede doesn't stand a chance. Okay, why not just just do our job and summarize 75% of the book for us? Yeah, oh my god, that was so long. I thought for sure it was going to stop, like, halfway through. (laughs) Bitch, you thought. (laughs) Yeah, bitch, I thought. And this is why we don't read the backs of books. Yeah. Okay. So let me tell you, chapter Mm. one, I was very surprised that it started immediately with the sex scene. I was like, whoa. (laughs) My note here said, uh, okay, we're just jumping right in. Yeah, damn. Literally the first paragraph here. When Maria's hazy brown eyes blinked back open after her orgasm, Peter held her gaze for another dozen thrusts. Then, braced on his forearms, fingers tangled in her hair, he pushed deep one last time and groaned into her mouth. I was like, oh my, excuse me? Yeah, it's a lot. Oh oh my god, I'm like sweating (laughs) over here. (laughs) I'm always sweating, it's so hot in my office. (laughs) Gotta open the window. Then again, your cat might jump out of it. That's why I can only open it like a crack. (laughs) Because he's an idiot. Oh. (laughs) Oh, I love my baby. He's not very smart. So something that I love about this book, and you see it on the cover and like first chapter, is that our two main characters are fat. And I love this. Yeah, it's it's good. I appreciate that they're both fat. Yes. I mean, we also had that in in Eight Kinky Nights as well, but I'm thinking of, our, mm-hmm. of course, our favorite book, uh, The Makeup Test, where we have <laughs> Allison, who is fat, and Colin, who is described as elven multiple times, and elven. I guess there are no fat elves. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I really liked seeing, like, a fat hetero couple because Mm -hmm. i do feel like a lot of times it's like oh look this fat woman even though she's fat she's still beautiful enough to or like charismatic enough to land this slender man not to be confused (laughs) with slender man (laughs) a romance so there's that and there's also just I don't want to say like a trope, but it's like I feel like people are always like, oh, like this fat guy, 
is like so ha ha funny. And that's how he was able to land the prize of a beautiful slender woman. Oh, yeah. Not to be confused with the femme slender man. Yeah, femme yeah. slender man. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's King of Queens, a show that I own the entire box set of. <gasps> Not bragging. <laughs> Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very prevalent trope. Yeah, so it was nice to see two fat main characters. Uh, now, when are we going to see two thin main characters? That's what I'm yeah. wondering. <laughs> Where's that, where's that representation? When is it Men's History Month? <laughs> You're telling me that black people have a whole history month and yet white people do? <laughs> oh, so what? Gay people get the entire month of June? What do us allies get? Where's my straight pride month? Anyway, representation's great. Yep. <laughs> and also, our two main characters sound super hot. Peter, specifically, I feel like is very much my type when looking at a, a man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, big and burly. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they both sound very attractive. I mean, they're also both TV stars, so that also helps. So they, they gotta be some kind of attractive. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he's a fat guy, all he's got to do is be funny. And that's, like, something that he has had to deal with for his entire career as an actor uh, because he is a fat man, he's often been cast as the funny fat friend, and he didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted more serious, he wanted meatier roles, but, I mean, just like how we see in real life, that's usually not the case for larger male actors, or even female actors, too. True. I'm thinking, like, Rebel Wilson and everything. Yeah. Like, always cast as, like, the funny fat friend. The only movie I can think of off the top of my head where a fat woman is cast as the lead and it's not a comedy is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Starring Melissa McCarthy, which is a fucking fantastic movie. I highly recommend. Oh, I, I haven't even heard of it. It is about Lee Israel. Lee Israel was a biographer whose opportunities basically like shriveled up and she turned to letter forgery to make money. Ooh. So she forged letters from famous authors and sold them to like collectors mm -hmm. and made money that way. That kind of slaps, to be honest. Yeah. She was also a <laughs> lesbian. <gasps> Hell, representation. Representation, double. Hell yeah, I support women's rights and also women's wrongs. <laughs> <laughs> be gay, do crimes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Caveat emptor, Lee Israel did nothing wrong and I will die on that hill. <laughs> I will die on that hill with you. I've only ever heard of her at this moment. Thank you. Anyway, that's my long tangent about nothing. Anyway, oh, we were talking about a book, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was also going to make the joke of this summer. Kevin James is Eddard Stark in oh. Game of Thrones, the movie. Oh, speaking of Game of Thrones. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to this in more detail, but like the show in this book is so clearly like a parody of Game of Thrones. Yeah, they're just on Game of Thrones. <laughs> I thought it was so funny, especially because, oh my God, spoiler alert, uh, not the other book by Olivia Dade. I mean, an actual spoiler <laughs> alert. The final season of the show like fucking tanks because they go off book because there's like no more book content to adapt. It's like, wow, that's that's exactly what happened in Game of Thrones. <laughs> so I thought that was very funny. Yeah, I didn't really consume much Game of Thrones, but I found it very, very funny as an outside observer how the finale of Game of Thrones hit 
And then I never heard about Game of Thrones ever again. Yep. It, it was like when Alderaan blew up in Star Wars, just a, <laughs> a, a million voices crying out and then are suddenly <laughs> silenced. <laughs> Even like tiny little things like the showrunners of this like fictional show called God of the Gates. Yeah. That sounds right. The showrunners are like RJ something and like something else with an R, which is very clearly a parody of D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, the showrunners <laughs> of Game of Thrones. So just little things like that kind of like like tickled me. Again, there are a lot of things about this book that I liked, which is why I was so disappointed that it just overstayed its welcome. Yeah. Back to the book anyway so they're hooking up and it's great the sex is just mwah, chef's kiss amazing mind-blowing also nicole yes. i just i just got the pun of shipwrecked like not only are the characters that they're playing shipwrecked on an island but they're like their their ship like their romantic pairing is wrecked by real life yeah <laughs> i hate this <laughs> I mean, at least it's not called All the Feels. I think I would straight up refuse to read a book called All the Feels on this podcast. I feel like unless it like very clearly didn't take itself seriously. Yeah. That would be my exception because otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Peter's just like fucking this babe and doesn't even know her last name, just knows that her name's Maria. And he's like, wow, this is the best sex I've ever had in my life. And he's like, wow, it's kind of weird because I actually sort of like her, even though I don't really know her. Just we vibe, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he's like, hey, so what brings you to town? And she says, oh, a job opportunity. Because he knows that she's not from there because she has a very distinct accent because she's from Sweden. And so Peter's like, okay, cool, let's bone. And then they do. And then they go to sleep. And it's the next morning he wakes up and he's like, wow, like I have time for one more, one more boning session uh, only to turn over. And oh, my gosh, she's not there. Her clothes are gone. Her purse is gone. He looks for the little like complimentary notepad that the hotel leaves you. Not even a note, nothing. And so he's like, he's real salty about this because he has baggage. Yeah, he has trauma response to it. Yeah, so he's like really salty about this. I guess we could just talk about it now, like what happened. Yeah, there's no reason to get, let's say, 75% of the way into the book before we discuss it. Yeah, so our boy Peter here was previously engaged, this lady Anne or Anna, one of those. Something like that. Something like that. She left him because he was an actor who wasn't like able to provide stability really basically what happened was he was offered a really big role i think a leading role in a pilot and then the show didn't go to series and so at that point she was like all right like this this lifestyle isn't like stable enough for me like i don't want to have to support you me and my doctor salary shouldn't have to do that i'm out deuces and she just leaves him yeah, she doesn't even tell him that she's leaving. He just comes home one day and she's gone. Yeah, which is like real fucked up. Like, damn bitch, yeah. like, can't even leave him a note on a complimentary hotel notepad. Like, I'm non-confrontational, you know, unless mm -hmm. I have to be. But like, I'd at least do them the courtesy of being like, hello, my fiance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would have just fucking ghost them. Imagine ghosting your fiance. 
I wonder if she left the ring. Did they ever talk about the ring? I don't think so. I guess it's just up to mystery. Because let me tell you, real quick pop culture reference here that is mm-hmm. relevant at time of recording. Love is Blind season four. <laughs> this bitch, Jackie, broke off her engagement. And so Marshall, the fiance, was like, okay, like I want the ring back. And she's like, no, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> like, bitch, what is wrong with you? Anyway, if you break off an engagement, give the ring back. Don't be a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, seems pretty reasonable to me. I mean, I've never been engaged. So like, maybe I'm being unreasonable, but... That's just, that's mm. my, that's my opinion. I have been engaged and I do not think you're being unreasonable. Okay. Thank you for, for validating me. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter's like, this fucking blows, but whatever. I have bigger fish to fry. The fish being an audition for a leading role on season two of Gods of the Gate or Gates, plural. I forgot Gods already. of the Gate. I think it's singular okay. gate, plural God. Okay, Gods of the Gate, singular, because basically it is a TV adaptation of a popular fantasy book series. Does this sound familiar? Like we didn't talk about Game of Thrones like earlier on. (laughs) And they weren't going to include these characters in the show, but the fans fucking rioted. They like picketed the studio and like a whole and like conventions and shit. And they're like, give us Siri. I could not tell you the names. I think it was like Syrian and Cassia. Yeah, that sounds right. Cyprian. Cyprian. C Y P R I A N. Cyprian. Cyprian sounds right. I think that's how the narrator pronounced it. Okay. So, yes. So, Cyprian and Cassia, who are two characters who are shipwrecked Uh. on an island and then have to like guard the gate to like Tartarus or something. I don't know. I just work here. Basically, like they acknowledge this also where like this is kind of like Greek mythology, but then also like random Roman shit and then also like random English shit just kind of thrown together. Also, they're Vikings. So it really it's like a weird mishmash of cultures and religions. Yeah, and- just kind of throw it all together. Who cares? Yeah. They're like, oh, it's 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 over in like kind of that corner of the world, right? It's all the same. <laughs> yeah. Europe. Yeah. So this is like a big opportunity for him because, you know, as a fat man, he hasn't really been offered many serious roles. And this this is a freaking game changer for him. So he shows up for the audition. And this is kind of like the last round of auditions It's between him and like two or three other people, I believe. And so they're also doing like chemistry tests or whatever with potential Cassias, at which point he's just like sitting in the waiting room. And who walks in but Maria, whatever her last name is, the woman who he had been railing the night before. Maria, whatever her name is, the woman he had been railing the night before. Yeah, that's her government name. Yeah. That's what it says on her Swedish passport. (laughs) They have to use two lines for it, though. (laughs) It actually cuts off. It doesn't fit. (laughs) So... The two of them are called in and it's like a very tense scene that they're auditioning with. Basically, like the summary of their characters and their character arc, whatever, is that they're on a ship and the ship capsizes or whatever because it's a big old storm because I think Poseidon or some shit did something. And so basically, Cyprian has the choice to save Cassia or his friend Eric? Question mark? 
I didn't pay that much attention. <laughs> Something like that. Who is also Cassia's lover, boyfriend, whatever. And also his friend. But like Cyprian's kind of a piece of shit a little bit and like kind of wants Cassia for himself. And so he saves her. And she's like, bro, what the fuck? Like, I told you to save him because I could swim on my own. But he was like drowning. And Cyprian was like, well, you were closer and you were running out of energy. And so I saved you instead. And then it's like they're stuck on this island. It's a whole like enemies to lovers situation. Mm -hmm. And so they're they're arguing in this scene because he's like real salty about the fact that she ghosted him. It goes really well on his part. She is like a theater actor. And so they were like, all right, bitch, like tone it down because we don't need you to do all this like crazy nonsense for TV. We can yeah. zoom in on you. <laughs> you don't need to uh, Ben Platt this. <laughs> <laughs> you mean play someone half your age? <laughs> yeah, too, maybe. <laughs> and so she she is very quickly able to adjust and oh, damn, she's actually kind of great despite the fact that she is not experienced working with tv and film so they're cast together that basically isn't confirmed quite yet but the like director showrunners whatever are like hey like have your agents on standby because wink wink nudge nudge you should be getting some news real soon and then we get to the parking lot scene yeah which was very forced to in in my opinion yeah a lot of conflict in this book is pretty forced, if I'm being yeah. real with you. Yeah. Also, I have a, a highlight here that says, which is why his inability to generate genial small talk, even when it would goose his career prospects, was unfortunate. Say a lot, Claudia. <laughs> I heard your voice in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> Peter in the parking lot. Maria asks him like, why he looks like he's so unhappy when he's probably landed the biggest role of his career. And he says, you're right, this is the biggest role of my career, which is why I'm displeased to be cast opposite a total amateur, one who's likely to drag down my performance and stop me from getting the recognition I deserve. Which Maria, in her narration, I guess her, her like, third person, whatever, says, wow, wow. And I highlighted wow. that and wrote, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it that way, but then you, <laughs> you opened with an Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> wow this guy's just some kind of dickhead so i understand him being salty because trauma i get it we've all been there yeah we, we've all got trauma it's 2023 <laughs> bitch me too <laughs> but i do feel like this was so forced because it's like why are you being so mean yeah i don't know it almost seems like out of character even though we're only like 20 pages into this book he yeah. doesn't seem to line up with what we know about him so far. He doesn't seem like the kind of person that would do this, even if he's hurt. I mean, we see this from Maria's perspective, so we don't get to hear Peter's inner dialogue about this. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know. It just seems like contrived. And I don't like that we're getting contrived 20 pages into the book. Yeah. Like... <sighs> Because, I mean, yeah, we don't really know him up until this point, but I feel like we do know enough to be like, this is weird. And that's only further backed up the more we read, because it really yeah. isn't in character for him. Yeah, looking at Peter, the first half of this book, this is just such a weird moment. Yeah. 
super out of character, super forced. It's one of those things where it is just in here to further the plot, mm-hmm. despite it not being true to the character. Like it's it's just to further the plot, despite the fact that it like just contradicts who he is as a person. <laughs> yeah, it's just there so he can apologize later. Exactly. But, you know, we'll move past it. Yeah. I guess. So the show is even more of a hit with the addition of their characters. Their performances are received really well, and they get a lot of like positive press about it, especially because the characters in the book are not specifically said to be fat, but the directors yeah. cast two fat actors. Not to be confused with the, the British cooking program Two Fat Ladies. <laughs> but so the filming of this show basically entails that they go with the crew to like some remote ass Irish island for a few months a year. And it's just them in these scenes. Like, I don't think they ever interact with another actor outside of like cast parties. Um, I think there's like one part where Cupid comes. Mm. I think that's like very briefly mentioned. And so the guy who plays Cupid's like, hey, like, guess who's coming to island outside of Ireland? It's your boy. Yeah. So that was like for like one scene, probably. But yeah, it's other than that, maybe because I might be misremembering. It's just the two of them. Yeah, just the two of them. Hey, Nicole, here's a challenge for you. OK, give me one name of one of the other cast members on this show. Ian. That sounds correct. And I only remember that because at the end, they were like, like something how they're all like close and friendly, except for Ian. Fuck that guy. And I was like, what did Ian do? Did I miss something? (laughs) I think I remember he's just like an egotistical jackass. Which like, let him. He's an actor. (laughs) I think that you're allowed to be a little bit of a diva. I think so. As Harry Beltic said in the hit Netflix series adapted from the hit book, The Queen's Gambit. It's chess. We're all prima donnas. You know, it's acting. We're all divas. What came first, chess or the Queen's Gambit? (laughs) I say that because if you're playing chess, are you LARPing Queen's Gambit? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I love Queen's Gambit. I wish chess were real. (laughs) (laughs) What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So it's just the two of them. So it's two of them. And then, of course, like the entire crew and the entire crew, like, Everyone's very cool. It very quickly turns into a family, more than a bunch of co-workers. And a lot of that is due to Maria being an extrovert and like super friendly and just bringing everyone in together. I mean, she'll be getting her hair and makeup done or whatever, and she'll be like, oh, like your kid's going to like this college, right? And just chatting everyone up, being friends with everybody. Meanwhile, Peter is very surly and doesn't talk to anybody because he doesn't know how. Yeah, he's he's a little autistic ass introvert. <laughs> so to sum up most of their time while filming, Peter is trying to avoid Maria as much as he can because one, he's salty. After a while, it's not that he's salty. It's that he's actually embarrassed because he'd been proven super wrong because she's really able to hold her own and shows that she is actually a very talented actress despite not having any experience with tv or film before and so he's like oh shit like i feel like an asshole he doesn't know how to people so he is not like able to communicate to her that he's like sorry something that i did highlight here and i highlighted this as like a dreamy thing maria notices that peter 
doesn't know how to people. And so she will create openings for him to join in on conversation. So, for example, she's talking to one person who went to, I think it was the University of Wisconsin or University of Madison, something like that. Madison, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. Location of If I Break and and Almost Broken. Oh, my God. Wow, the 3LWU. <laughs> the 3LWU Extended Universe. <laughs> uh, extended Literary Universe. 3LWELU. On Saturday. Are you about to tell me about the ranch? With yes! I need, okay. the, I need the listeners to know. On Saturday, my friend Rose went to Wisconsin. And what did she buy but fucking canned ranch? Canned ranch. That is the most Caucasian thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> it, it, it just it blows my mind. Flip whip, creamy ranch, whipped dip and dressing. And it's just got a little cartoon man with a big nose and a saxophone like that has anything to do with ranch. <sighs> anyway, so Wisconsin. <laughs> Wisconsin. Home of canned ranch. And University of Wisconsin-Madison, I think, is where they went. Anyway. Yeah, sure. So Marie is talking to one of the crew members and is like, oh, you know who also went to school there? Peter, you went to school there, right? And he's like, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She does this often where she notices that he isn't really able to initiate conversation. He doesn't care for small talk. And so she'll create those openings for him and find ways to include him eventually to the point where he becomes friends with everybody because he wasn't for a long time, not because he didn't want to be, but because he didn't know how. So mm-hmm. I I, in, I liked that aspect of her character and their relationship where she was able to identify that and help him. Yeah, I do like that she gently pushes him. Yeah. I also did enjoy the moment where he carries her bags into their suite when they first get to the island. Mm-hmm. It's described as not an apology, but at least it was something. Yeah. And she didn't like ask him to carry her bags or anything. He just like, he got them. They're also apparently huge bags. I don't know. It's the whole love language thing of acts of service where I'm like, yeah. Ooh, doing something nice for me on ass. Love that. What are your top love languages, would you say? Uh, acts of service and gift giving. Uh huh. I am definitely acts of service. Mm-hmm. I was like thinking about this and I was like, what are my love languages? And then I'm like, wait a second. I helped so many of my friends move. <laughs> yeah, you helped us move. You helped yeah. us get that fucking couch into this apartment. And I was like, oh, and like build furniture. And yeah. I was, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely an acts of service kind of gal. Not gift giving. Gift giving stresses me out. The Alexandra, it's love gift giving. I'm holding up a big wad of socks that Oak is giving to his girlfriend <laughs> when he sees her in a couple weeks. But I'm like quality time, bitch. Mm, I love quality time too. I mean, okay. really, everyone has all of these love languages in yeah, some just in capacity. different levels. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, yeah. My top ones, acts of service, quality time, I guess physical touch, because I'm very particular with who I allow to touch me. I took a quiz and physical touch was my lowest by far. Ooh, my, my lowest one was gift giving. <laughs> There's another one. What's What are the, the other ones? Uh, words of affirmation. Oh, yeah, I'm bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> if I could describe my words of affirmation levels, it would be... 
the poster of a kitten hanging from a branch that says, hang in there. <laughs> That's valid. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, very cute, very cute moment. I have a note here highlighted in chapter five. That's just like talk between like cast members and stuff. It's like, brace yourself. The director looked smug. Peter's eyebrows rose. Consider me braced. Daryl is 43 years old and Janine has no idea. And I wrote, this is so boring. I have Janine's description in chapter four highlighted. Yeah, apparently Janine's a MILF. Yeah, apparently. Good for her. And so I, w- I was just looking at that when you mentioned yours. And so this is like the perfect time for me to talk about this, where <sighs> this book is long. I don't know if we've mm-hmm. mentioned that quite yet, but... <laughs> uh, not sure. <laughs> and we're ones to talk having regularly three-hour episodes. <laughs> Shit, (laughs) we can't (laughs) say anything. This book is long. And a big reason as to why that is, is because we do get a lot of character work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I understand the reason behind doing that, giving your, your work some more meat, some more substance and, you know, allowing your characters to have relationships outside of the main romantic one. But I'm going to be real with you. When it comes to romance novels, I give them a lot of leeway in terms of like hitting certain requirements. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if I am reading a romance story, I want it to focus on the romance. Yeah. You know? I mean, we've said this before where a romance novel doesn't have to have like an additional plot. Like you don't need the hurricane coming to hit in Corpus Christi, Texas and the teen gang wars. You don't need the, the the teenage prostitution ring. You don't need any of that. Just just have it be a love story. Yeah. And so I, I'm looking at this. I found myself comparing this a lot to uh, the makeup test mm-hmm. because I feel like these had very similar vibes, even though they're not like the same. It's just like the energies it gave me were like similar. I agree. Right? Yeah. I think it's just like contemporary romance, like this very specific flavor of contemporary romance. And it's like almost enemies to lovers, too. Yeah. What I'm trying to say here is that like there is, I feel, a balance that can be very hard to find, I've noticed in these books, where here we get in Shipwrecked, we get too much character stuff when it comes to background characters and everything. And then we have the makeup test where we have those extra background characters, but they only serve like a singular purpose. And it's like not even to be a friend. It's just to further the plot. Yeah. And so it's like this is too much. And that was too little. So it's like I understand what Miss Dade was going for in this book with wanting to include all these extra characters and just fleshing out this story and universe and everything for us. But it was too much. And this that's why this book ended up being so much longer than it needed to be. I didn't have to know all these characters. I don't care about all of these characters. Some of them served a purpose. A lot of them didn't. I didn't need to know about Janine's fine 50-year-old ass dating whatever his name was who looked like he was in his 20s but was actually 40-something. They didn't serve a purpose. I think this book could have been a really good, like, anthology. Okay. Like a Love Actually kind of thing. Because everyone in this cast is fucking. They talk about it multiple times. (laughs) 
you're showing like the bare bones of all these other relationships. Why not just cut this one down and just add in like two others and then you cut back and forth between them? You know, I didn't even consider that. And now that you say it, I agree because there are couples in here who are interesting. I mean, like, so Janine and what was the guy's name? Uh, Daryl. Okay. So just to kind of give a quick little description about their whole deal, Janine is like in her 50s. She's a MILF and she loves to like sleep with 20 year old guys and basically then be like, surprise, I'm 50. And then they're like, oh God, what the fuck? Like you can be my mom. (laughs) And then Daryl looks like he's in his 20s, but is actually in his 40s. And Janine doesn't know that. And so she like flirts with him and like all this stuff. They actually get together, fast forward a couple of years, and then it is revealed to Janine that Daryl's in his 40s, which I'm like, how the fuck did you not like <laughs> how didn't that how did that not come up in this in the six years you've known each other? But okay. And then they get married. So like they've yeah. been together long enough where that was like a thing. She's like, you bested me at my own game. Well, and like that was funny. Yeah. Like that while it doesn't need to be in here, has the potential to be interesting if explored a little further. So like that. And then we have, of course, our main love story, which could be another story. And then we have like the um, relationship between, I think it was like the producer and the director. Mm -hmm. And so like they had their own like little love story here in this book. So I, I didn't even think about the whole anthology thing, but it definitely could work with this cast. I think you could have made it an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. Mm-hmm. Peter and Maria, A, director and producer, wherever the hell their names were, B, and then C plot, Daryl and Milf Manor, what is her name? Uh, Janine. Milf Manor. Janine, Daryl. <laughs> Daryl and check out Mild Manor on the Moonshot Network. <laughs> Daryl and Janine, comedic relief C plot. Yeah. It's just that easy. I think the producer director was like, I think it's Nava, but I know the guy's name is Ramon because of uh, a fellow, a fellow uh, <laughs> Latino. <laughs> yeah, I felt that way with uh, Maria's trans sister. Oh. Like, ah, how do you do? Background character. <laughs> Dips hat, how do you do? <laughs> yeah, so I didn't think about the whole anthology thing, but no, you are so right. Like, this would have worked really well. We have so many fun couples that are explored enough in this to like pique my interest but also to annoy me because they don't need to be in there (laughs) yep Uh. i would love to and by love to i mean i would never do an edit of this book where i just rip out everything unimportant that's gonna be a lot it's like in the princess bride the actual book there's a framing device that the princess bride that we are being given is an abridged version of a real book by l morgenstern with the boring parts cut out. <laughs> and this this version is The Princess Bride, just the good parts. Mm-hmm. I want to make that for this book. Yeah, because like, uh, there were so many things, like individual things that I liked about this book. And for it to just be buried under all this unnecessary stuff, honestly was like very upsetting to me like I started off this book with such high hopes because I was like oh I'm enjoying this and then it just got buried under a bunch of nonsense like we've read a fair number of books for this podcast now and there have been books that we haven't liked and we've been able to like really tear into them and have fun this one made me upset that I didn't like it because I wanted to I went in with like not high hopes but I went in with like hope (laughs) (laughs) 
I was like, oh, this is so fun. And then it was just like little by little, it just became too much. And I got tired of it. Yeah, there were parts of this book I liked. Yeah. And that's why like, uh, I was so disappointed that I didn't like it more than I did. Because I wanted to. It's a shame. That's, that's yeah. a, I don't know. It really sucks that two of the three books with fat main characters that we've read, we've been like, this book has a lot of potential, but oh no, I shouldn't say it this way. It just, it just needs to slim down. <gasps> oh no. Unfortunate. I have so many good things to say, but also I have way more criticisms. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So, okay little inside baseball here for mm -hmm. our listeners but what we've been doing lately is kind of listing out bullet points for how we want to tackle these episodes and make sure we talk about everything we want to talk about and your bullet points claudia tickled me mm -hmm. because <laughs> you literally had six years later question mark question mark question mark and then another note because at one point we just have like a six-year time skip that isn't like clearly defined it just kind of like for the last like over half a decade blah 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 and i was like did i read this correctly yeah it just jumps ahead and this is something i i tend to look at the goodreads reviews after i finish one of these books mm -hmm. especially when i didn't like it mm -hmm. like every single review was like why is there a six-year time skip in this book yeah also this is the longest period of time we've had in a book so far. Yeah. Because this book takes place over like eight years. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. But, and, and here's the thing, where it's just like, why can't you just put like a six years later at the start of the chapter yeah. or something? Like, why do you got to just throw it in there in a sentence and make me reread it like four times? Because I was like, did I read this correctly? Because when they were talking about it, I thought, that it was referring to how much time had passed in the show, like in universe. And it's like, you know, it being a show, we can go through six years in like two seasons, like there's time skips and stuff. And so it, I had to reread it a couple of times to register that it was referring to outside of the show, to like the character's actual lives. Six years had passed. I think the effort was to not take the reader out of it by putting a big like six years later mm -hmm. there. It's, you know, uh, less stylish. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, you, you just confused your readers. And it's like, I think that this could have worked were it not for the fact we are reading about two different universes right now. We're reading about yeah. the show universe and we're reading about like the actual like real life human universe. Because it's like if we were just talking about one, I'd be like, oh, OK, like there has been a six year time jump in their lives. But my brain automatically went to it being in the show. There didn't need to be a six year time skip. Yeah, I, I'm sure I have a note about this. Also, we're kind of getting our ahead of ourselves here. But oh, yeah, I just saw that I hopped ahead a little bit. I mean, we can we can jump around a little bit. Yeah. Okay, before we get to that six-year time jump, let's talk about, like, the three events that happen before that jump. Oh, yeah. Throughout this, there is a sense that Peter and Maria are kind of, like, goofing around, and they're getting closer together, and, you know, much like their characters on this show, due to their forced proximity, 
they've they've gotten to like each other more and they're kind of getting over this and actually peter apologizes for being a dick in the parking lot you know yeah however long ago at some point it was a long overdue apology but yeah he even says that yeah but he does it yeah so for the show's second season maria and peter come back and the directors are like they can't even say this through like themselves to the actors directly they send like PAs or something to do it. It was the showrunners who made this call and then told the director and producer to tell them. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, they say we want to like realistically show the effects that being stranded on a desert island for years would have on your characters. So we're going to need you to lose weight. Me, 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 me. Peter just kind of like sits there and he's like pissed off, but he's going to do it because, you know, and he doesn't want to screw this up. He's kind of like, what other choice do I have? It's either this or I lose the job. Mm -hmm. Whereas Maria immediately goes on the offensive. And in a passage I honestly highlighted as steamy, the director says, Maria, you certainly have the right to refuse my directive, just as I have the right to recast the role of Cassia immediately as necessary. And she says, of course you do. So predictable, that response. So predictable and so disappointing. That said, your memo from last week indicated that this season's filming is already running late and over budget due to issues at your other shooting locations. Can you truly afford the time and money it would require to stop everything here while you found another actor for my role, got her to the island, had her outfit, and adequately prepared her for my part? And the director says... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we could make it work. Copium. <laughs> and she says, all right, then let me ask you another question. Haven't you noticed the amount of positive publicity you've received for casting fat actors on your show? Do you really think you can ask those actors to visibly starve themselves and not expect a terrible, extremely public backlash? I'm a symbol of the body positivity movement with a substantial social media platform. And if I'm fired because I refuse to diet, there will be hell to pay, Ron. And I won't be the one paying it. You will. The show will. Peter still says nothing. But yeah, Maria says, like, this is a fantasy show. Can we just, like, suspend disbelief? So they take that back to the showrunners, and Maria knows that she's already won. And she actually does win. Yeah. They don't have to lose the weight. They get into a fight about, like, you know, Peter was willing to do it, and Maria was like, diets don't really work or at least not diets where you like cut down your amount of food drastically because no, your body goes yeah. into starvation and it, like permanently throws off your metabolism like these specific like crash diets because they need to lose a significant amount of weight super fast it's not sustainable it's not for your health it's literally just a cosmetic thing and yeah, that's exactly. that destroys your fucking body exactly so they get into a spat about this but maria comes out on top that's the resolution of that storyline. I think this is just a good time to talk about, we learn about like their motivators a bit more here, and that comes up later on, where Peter, although unhappy about the fact that he would have to lose weight, would have been willing to make that sacrifice because work is above all else for him. And Maria like makes a note, 
how it's like he cared about work above all else, as many Americans supposedly did, probably because they didn't have much of a safety net if they lost their jobs, which, yeah. Yeah. bad. That's it. Yeah, I, I, Lord, you don't have to tell me, Maria. <laughs> oh, I, I love capitalism, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. You know who I love? Who do you love? Elon Musk. Oh, my God. Elon, call me. My phone number's. <laughs> 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 so that's like one of Peter's biggest things. I mean, he's very career driven. And, you know, it's understandable. It's relatable because like, yeah, without a job, you don't have fucking much, you know, like there's a good chance you wouldn't have health insurance, Yeah, you know, and like he is single so he wouldn't have like a partner to help him his father doesn't really talk to him so he doesn't have family to rely on for any kind of support it's not like he has like residuals from meaty roles he's been in before he would just be fucking raw dog in life uh (laughs) so like it's just it's very understandable and of course there are other reasons that he's so career focused at like how he left Wisconsin and basically defied all of his father's wishes just for him to pursue something he was passionate about. And he like wants to prove his father wrong and be like, Hey, see, like I am able to be successful and financially stable despite this often turbulent career. So I understand his motives for doing a lot of things. Whereas Maria, she has her own baggage and stuff, but she loves her family. Her family's super supportive. And so her coming to LA and then Ireland, she she sacrificed time with her family, who she's very close with, to pursue her career. But at the end of the day, she knows that if shit doesn't work out or if she just doesn't want this job, she can leave. Yeah. She says like she'll go back to stage acting or she'll just do nothing for a while. Yeah. And that's for a variety of reasons, you know, like the fact that they have universal health care in Sweden. And she has a support system. She has a family and she's like not trying to prove anything to anyone, really not like Peter is. And so this is like the first instance of that big difference that we see. Yeah. And that's really going to be the core conflict of the book. Yeah. I have to ask, Nicole. Yes. If you were in this situation, what would you do? Girl, I got words. Uh, wait, which situation specifically? Oh, like I was told to lose weight. So you're you're in a movie or a show or something. Okay. The director says, Nicole, we need you to, I don't know, drastically alter your body in some way. Like neither you nor I are fat. So how about you need to gain a hundred pounds. Holy shit. In the next like two months for this role. And this is like a career making role that you've already had like a latch on already. Oof. Because I don't think I would have the spine to say no. I don't think I would either. Like I, I I wouldn't want to, or I'm just like, I'm thinking about how I would not want to. But besides that, I wouldn't be able to come up with a good enough reason not to. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, like, a reason to, like, say no to them, I mean. Besides, like, me not wanting to and for my health. Like, that's... Me me, me not wanting to and me not wanting to do it for my health is enough of a reason because of the fucking world we live in. (laughs) It's true. 
Yeah. But yeah, it's I, I don't feel like I would have the balls to stand up. So I really yeah. admire Maria for that. Oh, 100%. Peter's also wired differently. Like he he knew to kind of expect this. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the industry where like in the industry in which I work, that would never be a thing. That's like not something that I would ever have to risk. So it's not something that I would ever have to like mentally prepare myself for uh, to be even like a possibility. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not I'm not wired that way. But if I was wired as somebody who was like an actor and like knew this was a possibility, then like maybe I would think different. I don't know. Like I just I feel like yeah. I, I can't like say because I'm not wired to, to have to think that way, you know? Yeah, I think that the situation that I can put myself in here mentally, like that's maybe comparable in this way is like they're not the same, but. As a trans woman, if I was in a TV show and they were like, hey, we know that we've cast you as this like cis character and we've gotten a lot of praise for it. But our producers and stuff, the showrunners don't think you look quite feminine enough. It's something that's that's really started to bother them. We are going to pay for facial feminization surgery for you to to look more feminine. That would be tough for me because I would be like. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. It's like permanently altering my body. Yeah. And, you know, there's a conflict because like role outside of the show has been a lot about me being like a trans woman there. I'm just getting deep in this fantasy now. (laughs) But like, I, I don't think I would have the spine. Yeah. Especially because, I mean, we learn later on that Peter has had to work jobs outside of acting while finding roles. Like he had worked mm-hmm. as a construction worker for some time. So it's not like he's a Nepo baby or that he was really lucky and found instant success and is able to build off of that. Like he has had to work from nothing. Yeah, he's really bootstrapped himself. Yeah. Comes from fucking Wisconsin. His dad's some guy and his mom is like a former interior designer slash like medical transcript person i don't know yeah whatever the hell she does so it was just dead. <gasps> spoilers <laughs> she's dead <laughs> oh she died oh my god so yeah so he, like he's had to work and this is just like a life-changing opportunity for him so like i uh, yeah i don't know like i i wouldn't be able to say no yeah yeah so good on maria yeah good for her but also she like doesn't have much to lose (laughs) yeah it's true she well you know as as somebody who's like an outspoken member of of like the plural community Mm -hmm. i am out to like most people in my life well at the moment i'm out to everyone Mm -hmm. in my life except for like my landlord you know sometimes you you have to be the brave person so other people don't have to be so brave Mm mm-hmm I think that's the role that Maria is taking here because she doesn't even just say I'm not doing it. She says we are not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But then like when asked directly, Peter was like her, her opinions are her own. They do not reflect (laughs) mine. Yeah. Maria's tweets are her own. They do not represent the the (laughs) views of my employer. (laughs) But yeah. So yeah, I mean, like good on her. Like I understand why Peter did or didn't do what he wanted slash what maria wanted him to do and i understand that i understand him mm. but you fucking go maria mm-hmm. bad bitch behavior so one of the other big notable things that happens during this ish season of filming 
is that the conditions that they're filming in for a portion of time are horrible. They're filming on a cliffside where they're just like gale force winds because it's because of a storm coming in. But the I think it's the directors who are like, we don't want to delay the shooting because we're already behind. It's the showrunners. It's again. the showrunners again. Yeah, again, oh uh, it, they're the they're the big bads of this okay. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, the showrunners are like, you can't you can't pause shooting because we're already over budget and behind. So they're just like out there in these like genuinely dangerous conditions. Maria almost falls off a fucking cliff because of these winds. And at that point, when it becomes clear that they're not going to stop, Peter fakes sick. Peter, like, I guess Googles some some symptoms that would be like, Enough that he wouldn't be able to work, but not enough that he would be sent to the hospital. He sees like the show's medical person. She's like, well, you can't work. You you definitely seem like you can't work for a few days. They're going to have to pause shooting. And she tells that to the director and producer and they're like, darn, I guess we'll have to pause until the storm passes. Damn. I think that neither of them quite believe that he's actually sick. Oh, they know he's not sick. Okay, they know he's not sick, but Maria thinks that he's genuinely sick (laughs) until she visits him in his hotel room and she like hears him cough and she's like, that's the same cough (laughs) that you were doing when you were acting in that scene in the last season. That's your fake cough. (laughs) And he's like, no, I'm really sick, I swear. And there's like no ibuprofen, no acetaminophen anywhere, no yeah. thermometer, no no used tissues. Yeah. He says, um, if I don't seem ill right now, the doctor said my condition might uh, vary from moment to moment. So he paused, still fumbling for an explanation. After licking his lips, he started to say something else. No doubt another lie. And she didn't care what it was. She didn't care whether he ever told her the truth because she understood now. Come here, skitstole. She said, which I believe means boot shitter, if I remember correctly. Yeah. That's the one, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's her pet name for him, boot shitter. Man who shits in a boot. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Then she ducked down again, cupped his bristly cheeks and kissed him hard. And then they have kind of an intense tongue kiss. Oh, la, 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 la. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> his lips were already parted, so she teased his tongue with hers then delved deep and reclaimed her territory after far too long an absence. He responded like a starved man at a feast, a low groan rumbling deep in his chest as he seized control of the kiss and of her. They make out for a minute, and then he's like, we can't. We have to work with each other. We can't, we can't hook up again. We can't be dating. If we broke up, it would make shooting miserable for not just us, but for everyone. Even though our lust for each other is so great. My dick is so hard for you. My dick is so hard for you, but I can't use it. I have to be strong. (laughs) Damn. Yeah. So anyway, six years later, they're doing an interview. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Six years later. Six years. It's insane. Like at the end of this chapter, we get Gods of the Gates panel transcript. And then the next chapter, now that we've talked through the basic sequence of events, I want to revisit the beginning of the scene, if that's acceptable to you both. 
When Peter and Maria acquiesced with a nod, Delia, the production's intimacy coordinator, continued. Once their years of repressed lust boil over, six, six years of repressed lust. Not that Peter was counting. Now I understand why he thought this was in the show. Yeah. So why wouldn't it? That's, that's the phrasing that they give you. Yeah. They don't make it clear enough that like... No! <laughs> they should have said like six, six years, both for Cassian and for Peter. Yeah, some, some, like, even that would have been enough to make it clear. Okay, all right, so I, I'm not crazy then. Like, no, you you're saw not it crazy. too. Yeah. Reading it back, like, and paying slightly more attention to it <laughs> while not, like, not getting into a shootout with, like, 15 guards. And in the, real life. In, in, yeah, in real life. <laughs> in this, the best hitman I've played in my entire life. <laughs> I, I do see where you're coming from now. Yeah. Here's the part of the book where I was looking at the percentage and I was like, is there an error in the book? Because <laughs> surely I'm not 35% of the way into this book that definitely feels like it's entering a third act. Yeah. Oh my God. Or at least like a late second act. But no, we're a third of the way through this book this somehow. Book kept on going. Uh, but also we're like halfway if not more through my notes <laughs> we're through a big chunk of the plot and like a lot of this so far we haven't even really talked about plot so much as like other shit <laughs> this is almost like two books or like this is the the show stuff it's like the really long intro to their actual love story yes yeah like this yeah this is all just preamble because it's only once the show ends that like things start to happen yeah it's interesting because like late in the book they intersperse a couple of chapters like they'll have a chapter and then they have like a text like a text message chain from early in their friendship and then they'll go back to the present and i'm like why didn't they do that for the rest of the book yeah why not just start at the point where the show is ending and then pull in a sweet little if I break here and cut back and forth. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to make it an anthology for me. She doesn't have to cut back and forth for me. The book is published. I bought it. I'm the sucker here. Oh, we're both <laughs> the suckers here. We were the fools all along. The real shipwrecked was the money we spent on this book along the way. <laughs> I can't remember if I bought this book before or after I was laid off. <laughs> this was on our list for a while. For a while. Wow. Unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I do have a Mimi, and that was that they mentioned AO3 a couple of times, and I think this is the first time they like mention it. I could be lying. I'm probably lying. So this is the final scene. that We're six years in the future, somehow. Yeah, what year did this, what year was this book written? It, it's post-pandemic that it was written. So does this take place in like 2027 right now? Is this the most future book that we've read now? Oh, who knows? I'm trying to think if there's anything that would like date what's going on. Because the pandemic doesn't exist in this world, I have to assume. Oh, unless yeah. this book takes place from like 2010 to 2018 when like game of thrones actually aired that's what i was thinking mm, i can see that just to make it parallel uh, game of thrones even more yeah hmm. Hmm. oh anyway so this is the final scene they're going to film together so spoiler alert for uh gods of the gate 
Cassia and Cyprian fucking die. Yep. And so they like film their death scenes. And now the last scene they are filming is the sex scene that happens before they die. Damn, RIP. Ripping penis. Ripping <laughs> rip <and> penis. <laughs> and it gets horny, baby. So I have a little Mimi highlight here. Mm-hmm. But in reality, now that they'd reached this literally climactic scene between Cassie and Cyprian, the scene for which their fandom had been clamoring since their first episode aired, the scene that would surely launch thousands of startlingly filthy fics on AO3 and reams of not-safe-for-work fan art, so much about the situation bothered him. So yeah, they got to fuck on camera now and it gets real steamy even though like they have the, they had their intimacy coordinator who's like, okay, like, you know, here's a cocksock. Uh, you can use pasties if you want. And Maria's like, nah, my nipples are going to be raw dog in this air because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maria has no qualms with showing her boobies. Yeah. And she's like, I'll go on fully naked. I don't give a shit. And they're like, <laughs> no, no, no. Here's a nude thong. HBO isn't that cool. Yeah. I gotta say, I did enjoy the detail of which they described the logistics of filming a sex scene. Yeah. It was it was neat to hear. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. As somebody who's seen many a sex scene in shows, sometimes it's just like, how did they do this? Mm-hmm. And now I have a better idea as to how it works. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Bridgerton. God, there's a lot of sex in that show. Have you watched Bridgerton yet? You gotta watch it. I have not watched Bridgerton yet. That was one of our early episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch Bridgerton. They have a sex scene and like many an ad on a porn site. Try <laughs> not to come. You won't last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're both they're both like, like, God, why do we have to We've been like holding off on doing this for like six years and now we have to pretend that we're fucking. They're both so horny. Yeah. I think during the sex scene, he actually like says her name in her ear at one point. Oh, yeah. Which is a lot. That kind of did it for me. I'm gonna be real. I was like, yo, like that's <laughs> that was unexpected. Breaking character because you want her that bad. I was like, ooh. <laughs> this book had some pretty steamy moments in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say something. It might be mm. controversial, but brave. Mm-hmm. I think it was too steamy sometimes. Not even too steamy. I think it tried to be steamy and it fell flat a good number of times. Now, why would you say something so controversial yet so brave? I got out my pencil just so I could do it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Honestly, I'm interested to hear where you're talking about but i can see it yeah like there are just a couple of random instances where i'm like why y'all gotta be horny you don't gotta be horny right now <laughs> like talk relax yeah with spray bottles <laughs> <laughs> i never thought that we would ask for less porn <laughs> not even the porn i'm never gonna say no to more more porn what i will <laughs> say no to is more horny i don't need more horny if you're gonna give me horny give me porn don't just give me horny because mm. then it just gets annoying for me. It's teasing. Not even that. I just got annoyed. I was like, this is just stupid. Like, <laughs> oh, we're having a conversation and now you're talking about like pussy. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, okay, that that makes sense. I think I know some parts that you're talking about. There are several instances 
But I'm like, relax. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to give me horny, give me porn. If you're going to give me porn, like, give me porn. You know? If you're going to give me horny, give me porny. Period. And this just gave me horny with no payoff, which was annoying. Mm. And then the, the horny was just annoying because it didn't need to be there. Like, y'all don't need to be horny at this point in time. If you're trying to give me plot, don't insert horny in there. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Too much. Too much. Never thought I would say that I wanted less. I would, uh, the thing is, I wouldn't even call those parts steamy because they weren't yeah. steamy. They were just stupid. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> We're not tweeting this at her. We know that. Oh, there's, there's no way. Oh, my God. I feel so no bad. Way. Hey, this is why we don't tweet at authors who whose books we even, like, moderately dislike. Yeah, like how we didn't tag Danny Collins in book two. Because who wants to receive a three-hour hate mail? Yeah. Anyway. I wanted to like uh, this, I swear. Yeah. See, that's why I feel like I'm being even like more critical is because I'm like, there was so much potential here. Mm -hmm. I'm angry. He squandered it. He soiled it. <laughs> soiled it. Soiled it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so upset. That's why I feel like I'm being particularly harsh. A shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. I'm disappointed. Shame. I'm disappointed that I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be disappointed. Let's keep going, though, because I think the audience won't understand oh, right. <laughs> the ways in which we're disappointed until we get to everything after <laughs> this bit of the book. Yes. Okay. Until we stop reading the plot part of this book. Yeah. The showrunners, the evil dudes that they are, they tell the directors like, hey, we want you to reshoot the sex scene. And we also want Maria to shave all of her body hair. And Maria says... No. <laughs> and if they don't like it, they can fire me. The show is over anyway. <laughs> so something that I found funny was that they were like, we need you to lose weight because you're starving and we want to make it more realistic. Yeah. <laughs> but we also want you to shave because horny, even though it's not <laughs> realistic. So it's like you're being fucking you're picking and choosing what you want to be realistic, huh? You dumb fucks. Yep. Fucking misogynistic pieces of shit. It's the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. They do end up refilming a couple of bits of the sex scene anyway. So they do the simulated sex again? Question mark? They do it a couple of times. You gotta do it from like a couple angles. Like apparently yeah. they, they take a very long time to film. And this is a particularly long scene as well. So it takes yeah. even longer. At this point, filming has wrapped. And so... Peter and Maria essentially just just collapse into each other and ha have sex. <laughs> Two things before that I want to mention before the sex scene. One is this stupid little like running gag. Is it the fucking fish? Oh, I don't, that's that's fucking annoying. Let, let, yeah. we, we could talk about that though, because that's one of the things that fucking. So Alex, fucking Alex, fucking Alex. Uh, Alex <laughs> is one of their co-stars and. He will like find real person fix about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about fucking Peter and Maria and like accumulate them and send them to them in like an email, which I was like, it's funny, but also like really weird. <laughs> like, That's also sexual harassment. <laughs> I was like, why are you like looking up porn of your coworkers? 
Granted, it's like they haven't told him to stop because they do get a kick out of it, which is why I was like, all right, I'm not seeing it so much as sexual harassment, even though it kind of is yeah. a little bit. But because they like never said no and Peter was like, oh, I have like some of these bookmarked. So it's like he's consenting to it. Uh, so I'm like, that's fine. But also... Like, I thought it was, like, kind of funny, the concept of being like, oh, my God, like, haha, look at this shit I found. But then also, I do feel like it was too much. I think that's the best way to put it. Too much. Too much. Because he does it regularly. I feel like this is a one-off thing. If I was like, oh, my God, Claudia, <laughs> you won't <laughs> fucking believe it. I just found real person fic of you. This is fucking wild. I would combust and also definitely read it. Oh, for, for 100%. But then if I were to do that every week... Every, every every Thursday, I'd be like, hey, Claudia, here's another real person <laughs> fic. At which point, if I were you, I would be like, why the fuck you keep looking this shit up? <laughs> yeah. Girl, why you Googling yeah. me? <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> another thing that I wanted to touch on is that they talk about the like fandom culture of the show and around Maria and Peter in particular as like public figures. And how a lot of people like ship them. Yeah. And not just their characters. How there are like gift sets on what I have to assume is Tumblr of them like pointedly looking at each other with, with hearts around them and stuff. And <laughs> I think it highlights both like the obvious sexual tension between them, but also I don't know if it's celebrating or kind of like saying that this is a little weird, like a thing that happens in fandom spaces out of curiosity have you ever shipped real life people no i don't think so i mean like not like celebrities mm -hmm. like you know you have you have two friends and you see them them kind of be a little bit flirty and you're like they would be cute together yeah but not like making gift sets over over real people i don't actually know you know i'm not one of those 1d fans that Ships oh Louie and Harry. I think that was the big one. My ex-girlfriend's friend was so into that and it was fucking obnoxious. Oh. I always think Thomas is a, a One Direction, uh, but no, I'm just thinking of Louis Tomlinson. Uh, or yeah. Louis Tomlinson. I don't know. I, I was I, I was and still am a big time rush girly, so <laughs> So was my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> so I got both of it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My past just constantly filled with with Carlos and and then with Louis and Harry. Uh uh uh. uh. <laughs> All the windows down. Woo! That concert was worth the COVID. I don't care. <laughs> uh. As far as like shipping real people, I've never like done that i feel like the closest i've ever come was when tom holland and zendaya said they were dating i like watched a couple tiktoks of them being cute in interviews i'm like oh this is cute and that was it <laughs> isn't he like 20 years older than her tom holland oh tom holland did i say hiddleston no you didn't i just oh, okay. thought you said hiddleston well, well tom h and they're both white british men yeah. so <laughs> tom holland and zendaya were cute yeah, I think they're still t yeah, they're still together, I believe. But yes, yeah, so I think that's like the closest I ever came to like doing any kind of real person shipping. And that was really just like, oh, like they're very cute in interviews. It's adorable. Like good for them. I hope they stay together. And then I yeah, continued to scroll. 
my on my merry way onto like probably a weird cat video or something. Yeah. Cats getting like the zoomies, making sounds like race cars. <laughs> so on this interview circuit, they get set up in a hotel room together. There aren't enough suites for everyone. And so they are immediately confronted with their sexual tension, like the second they're alone together. Fueled by the fact that every interviewer who has come in has been like, so are you two dating slash have you ever dated? Yeah. And uh, Maria's like wiggling around and hiking her skirt up a little bit, being a tease. So adding fuel to that horny fire, baby. It's in the air. And so Peter is like, maybe we should wait just a little bit longer until the interview circuit is over. And I think that Maria is like, after the interview circuit, I might be going back to Sweden. Yeah. So we might as well just do this now. Well, that was the plan because she was going to go back after they were finished filming. And then they were and then the showrunners were like, surprise, you have to do interviews. Mm. And so she's like, well, guess I'll be putting off my trip to Sweden because she like texted the showrunners and they were like, oh, yeah, it was totally our idea, even though it was really Peter and Maria's idea that they do interviews in Sweden and also Wisconsin. So where our actors are from. Is that why they go to both Sweden and Wisconsin? I must yeah. have fucking missed that. <laughs> I thought that they just like, because we're together now, I'm going to meet your parents and you're going to meet my dad. It was like just like this quick throwaway line that I almost missed, but then I went back and reread it because I was like, did I miss something? The showrunners were like, hey, you're going to have to do an interview circuit like right as soon as you're done filming today. And so Maria shot back a text and was like, only if we get to make stops in like Stockholm and Madison or something. And they're like, oh, yeah, totally. Like that was part of the plan. And so like it wasn't, <laughs> but they're pretending it was. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's that, that's why they were going around places. OK, that makes sense. Yeah. I, you know, I must have been clonking a man over the head with a crowbar at that moment. I'm sure. It happens. It do be like that sometimes. I mean, that's part of why my note after visiting Sweden says, what the hell is this book about at this point? Which I think still stands, but... Oh, 100%. Okay, so let's talk about the sex scene. We've we've kind of talked about everything but the sex scene. Oh, right. <laughs> Nicole, what do you think of the sex scene? I thought it was kind of hot. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I wish it was longer. Yeah, you know, it was like... Okay, so like if this book were 100 pages shorter, I would have been like, this is pretty good. Yeah. With the extra 100 pages, I was kind of like, I wanted like, there's like another mini sex scene or two, mm -hmm. but I wanted more still. Oh, 100. Like if you're going to give us a 400 page book, give us at least like four decently long sex scenes. Nanny and the Beast knew how to do it. Yeah. So we get our first like real meaty sex scene here mm -hmm. halfway through the book after their little little press time i'm just like looking for any good quotes because i feel like peter is good at dirty talk yeah he can't do small talk but he can do dirty talk yeah he can <laughs> they're finally alone after their interview bits and they're like oh we're so tired but you know what we are more than we are tired horny baby let's fuck peter slithers his hand in between maria's legs and like he doesn't even really hesitate he just like boom two fingers right up in there thumb mm -hmm. on the clit and he says ride that fuck yourself on my hand and i was like Peter? Hello? 
Peter. Peter. <laughs> Honestly, really good moment. Honestly, yeah. I don't think we've had that before on this show. No, I don't. Like we ha- we've had fingering for sure, but nothing oh, yeah. like fuck yourself on my hand where I'm like, oh my God, like, oh yes, sir. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. (laughs) I think that the sex scenes hit particularly hard for me because the way Peter's described, like that is my type in a man. Mm -hmm. You're into straight bears. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, it's true. Where it's like, you know, I look at the list of men I've slept with and we got some variety in there. I'm talking heights. Mm -hmm weights builds races i've done it all (laughs) but like if i had to choose one straight bear would be it (laughs) (laughs) you clocked me (laughs) spot on (laughs) i mean i'm essentially married to to a butch bear (laughs) that you are so we have a very similar time (laughs) um yeah, and so that's why, like, it just, it, it like, really did it for me. I did find myself, like, short-circuiting a couple times, because I was like, Pita, Pita. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we've ruined it. We've ruined it for ourselves. I'm not horny anymore. I'm just thinking of Family Guy. Uh, thanks for Family Guy porn. No, oh, no, I've seen Lois's tits <laughs> bouncing so many times. <laughs> So Maria's fucking herself on his hand and she's like, Peter, I need. And he's like, oh, girl, you don't even got to finish that sentence. Third finger up in the poon. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, my poon. (laughs) We've hit almost 11 p.m. and there's cursed energy in the streets now. (laughs) Need a seance. I'm sweating from laughing. So after he like, you know, sticks a a third digit into her, she comes and then he's like, oh, bitch, surprise. You thought I was done or you thought we were done? No. And just fucking sticks his face in between her legs. He ate her, his mouth and tongue voracious. He licked her from slit to clit with a flattened tongue, then stabbed that tongue as deep inside her as he could. His beard abraded her inner thighs and prickled deliciously against her oversensitive flesh. And then he started fucking her with his fingers again. Oh, and then he and then he's like speaking into her flesh and he's like, you want it, Maria? Then take it. Hello? Yeah. Peter, please call me. My phone number is 203. (laughs) He kept sucking, kept pumping his fingers, and she kept coming in little quivers and pulses. Reaching down, she clutched his shoulders and tried to drag him on top of her. We can undress next time. Get inside me already. Won't last, he ground out, but he was already unzipping his jeans and yanking down his boxer briefs, already reaching inside his pocket for a condom. You're really not supposed to keep them there. And Maria says... It's it's fine if you don't last long. Coming again would probably kill me. But also, like, that always does it for me. When, mm-hmm. like, in uh, when I'm reading something and the guy was like, I won't last because he's, like, so turned on by you or whatever, or, like, the female. I say you because mm-hmm. I read a lot of self-insert fic because, let's be <laughs> real, I want to fuck Nanami Kento from Jujutsu Kaisen, okay? <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's what I write also. So anyway, listeners, if you uh, are also a Nanami Kento simp, uh, let me know and I'll DM you my fanfics. Shameless plug. Not really. Not really plug in, but, you know, just a little. An invite. Yeah. Yeah. 
an invite. So whenever I read that, my brain just stops working. That always does it for me, like for your partner or whatever, to just be like so into it, to be so into you, where it's just like, I will come. <laughs> like the second mm-hmm. I'm inside you, I'm just like, ooh, ooh, that's it's fine. It's really good. Also, we do have a moment where <laughs> they describe him with the condom slapping the condom down the length of his dick. Something about slapping. <laughs> you could fit so many penises in this bad boy. <laughs> Who else is up slapping? <laughs> slapping at me. He says, you're on top this time. Me next time. Yeah. It's actually kind of cute because he's initially like kind of holding back because he's like, I don't want to hurt you with how voraciously I'm going to fuck you. Mm-hmm. And she says, you won't fuck me as hard as you like. Come on, Peter. I'm a big girl. Throw me around a little. He finally lost control. His nostrils flared, his hand squeezing her ass with bruising possessiveness. And he shoved her back down on his stick with a snarl. Before she even had time to gasp in pleasure, he'd begun bucking his hips, fucking her with such ferocious power that all she could do was hold on. Each impact jolted through her like a thunderbolt. And gods above, it even felt like lightning. Electricity arcing, power gathering. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, thinking of like Goku power. <laughs> <laughs> Dimly, she heard herself panting, clinging to his shoulders. She arched back and spread her legs even wider until her inner thighs ached at the strain. She wanted him so deep, she'd still feel him in a month. So deep, he'd never leave. Changed my mind. His gravelly words barely sounded human. First time inside you again. You're coming on my cock. Um, and then there was a moment that kind of ruined it immediately after, where it says he licked his thumb and pressed it to her clit. I, I don't know, just the image of of this, like, hardcore fucking, and then just, like, yeah. <laughs> Before. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, Spongebob with the bar of chocolate, and he gets, like, his tongue <laughs> But ugh, just the first time inside you again, you're coming on my cock. I fucking died. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's the possessiveness. It's possessive. It's how rough he's being with her. Like, if I had to choose a flavor of sex that is my favorite, it would be this. Everything about it. I'm talking like big burly guy fucking throwing me around. Punching you in the face. Punching me in the face. Throwing me through walls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking... Like, me-shaped holes in the drywall. (laughs) Very Junji Ito, you know? Yeah. Um, This hole was made by me. (laughs) This is my favorite flavor. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's not my favorite flavor, but I do like and appreciate it a lot. It's up there. I don't want to be fucking choke-slammed into the mattress. Like, just... (laughs) Yeet me through a wall. Um, that's what I went. Oh, yeah. Mm, this did it for me. Honestly, my favorite part of it was where he was like holding back and she was like, just give me everything you've got. Like, I can handle it. You don't have to like restrain yourself with me. And then him letting loose. Whoo, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, <sighs> that's, that's basically it, I think. Right? That's basically it. Oh, uh, she comes again and he says, thank fuck. And then he comes, because I guess he was holding off until she came again. Which, like, love that. 
thank you. Considerate, generous partner. I thought it was very funny, to be honest. <laughs> Just that he was like, thank God, thank fuck. Jesus Christ, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so my only qualm with this scene is that it wasn't in the long enough. Yeah, it's it's honestly pretty short, all yeah. things considered. It's good. A six-year buildup, all considered. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cute though. For us being, you know, 200 pages in, 200 pages and six years in, I wanted more. Yeah. But what we got was good. I like what we got. I, I really liked what we got. I just, that's why I wish there was more of it. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this Tumblr post I saw from somebody who's like a professional, like book reader, mm -hmm. like for a publishing house. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I learned that you should be giving criticism on what the book is and not what the book isn't. Mm-hmm. So like instead of there isn't enough sex in this book being like the sex that is in this book is very good. Yeah, agree. But see, that's why and that's like, you know, it's like a circular thing. It's like it's good, yeah. which is why I want more of it. <laughs> yeah, we get like little teases later, but yeah. nothing like this again. It really sucks that so many romance novels that we read, I can predict like the exact flow of like 90% of romance novels that we 100%. read. 100%. Because it's like you have a sex scene at either like 50% or 60%. And then most of the time, you're not getting anything else. Yep. It's just for wrapping up plot. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly how our podcast goes too, where we talk about like the first 50 or 60% of the book in like great detail. And then we're like, uh, and then there's some contrived bullshit. Uh, where are your rankings, Nicole? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because I mean, we're just following the format of the book, you know? Yeah, exactly. We're working with what we're given. Exactly. So they visit Sweden and now they're like together. So while it's not public knowledge, so like the fandom and stuff doesn't know, they do act very coupley, like in front of Maria's family. So some background into Maria's family. She is adopted, which makes this the 500th character that <laughs> has been adopted. We can make a whole orphanage out of these characters <laughs> on our podcast. True. So her parents had one biological child. And after that, they just had like problems conceiving or, you know, problems with like miscarriages or something of the like. So they said that they wouldn't attempt to have more biological children, but they still wanted more kids. And so they adopted. They adopted, I think it was three more kids. Yeah. Yeah. Because she has three previously adopted siblings, not older siblings, but siblings that were adopted before her. Yeah, because there was there's like the biological child. There's the Korean brother. There's the trans sister. Trans sister. And then it's her, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I forgot that one of them is biological. Yeah. Which is why I said three, three adopted ones. My mistake. So what we learn is that Maria was adopted by them at eight years old so older than her other siblings mm -hmm. and she has her her very sad tragic backstory she so she was eight when she was adopted and she says my biological parents died in a terrible fire at a stockholm club when i was four it was their anniversary and i was with a babysitter which jesus fucking christ to die in a fire on your anniversary what a way to go what a way to <laughs> As they say, it's better to burn out than to fade away. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> That's what they say when you're at a club and you have kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> she was with a distant relative because what happened was her parents were only children of only children. Yeah. So the only family she had was like real distant relatives. So she was taken in by that relative for two years. This relative had an adult daughter who got sick. She had cancer. And so the mother was the sole caretaker. And so between like her declining health and her daughter now having cancer, so they couldn't take care of Maria anymore. And it's really sad because the daughter ended up passing away and the mother ended up dying three months later. Mm -hmm. Like fucking so sad. Brutal. Brutal. So then she was shipped off to a foster home with a young couple who like couldn't really afford to take care of her. Yeah. And then um, this couple thought that they couldn't conceive and the wife like accidentally got pregnant. And they were like, oh, we're keeping this baby but we can't afford both this baby and Maria. We can barely afford Maria as it is, which I don't know how they're affording diapers and shit with... I'm sure there's there's programs in Sweden. Oh, I'm sure. But anyway, they're like, well, back to the system. That's so fucked up. It's unfortunately how it goes. It is really fucked up, though. And I mean, this is why Maria has a lot of trust issues. Mm -hmm. Which we haven't really talked about. But she does, and we this starts coming up about this point in the book. Yeah. Okay, there was a Goodreads review that I read. They were like, halfway through the book, Peter and Maria switch personalities, where Peter used to be the one who's like introverted and has issues and stuff, and Maria was boisterous and, and an extrovert and stuff. But now Peter is like easily doing interviews and Maria is like constantly curled up in the fetal position and and crying about her her attachments. <laughs> and it's like they didn't switch characters. Peter has basically a set script that he's saying at all of these interviews. And Maria is now in an actual relationship. So all this shit is coming up for her. Mm -hmm. Plus she also dated this one guy at this one point for a while and then he like broke it off he cheated on her was that they were long distance because he had to like transfer to london for work it turns out that he didn't actually have to transfer he wanted to go there and also he had a secret family yeah yeah that's right wild after the couple who had their own child she got adopted by her current family yes and so they adopted her and they actually gave her like the space that she needed because she'd not trust them because she's been in several homes now with people who said that they, they loved her and cared about her. But then when things got hard, shipped her away, understandably or not. Oh, yeah. And like they were, yeah, so they were very respectful and considerate in that sense. But they also did everything they could to be like, hey, you are with us. Like you, you're stuck with us mm -hmm. now where they did all like the legal shit really fast. They did everything they possibly could to make her officially part of the family while also allowing her time and space that she needed. Yeah. And they also made an effort to make her feel included like in family activities and stuff. Like they would be like, hey, why don't you go play catch with your sister outside or something? Just kind of like making sure that she's included in family activities and things. And she eventually like warmed up to them and came around. And called her adoptive parents like mom and dad. Yeah. Which is sweet. 
Very sweet. Honestly, the most positive foster story we've had on this show? I think so, yeah. Because where are the other ones? Like, all of the other ones just, like, aged out of the system. I think so. You know what the difference is? Is that they're in Sweden. <laughs> That's it, <laughs> The American foster system is, uh, needs some work. Yeah. I also would be remiss if I didn't mention... Marie's family has this, like, photo album or scrapbook of, like, all the kids, like, when they join their family and stuff, they flip through a little bit of Astrid, her sister's pages. Several pages later, Peter paused. Hold on, why did your sister get fewer photos than your brothers? A lot of the pictures taken before she transitioned make her uncomfortable. Even though Swedes generally weren't as attached to sex-specific clothing as Americans, some of her sister's earlier outfits and hairstyles had virtually screamed her assumed gender identity. Papa only put in the photos she approved. And Peter's like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. It even says Peter nodded entirely unfazed, as she'd both hoped and expected he would be. That's a cuter line than I thought. Yeah. So maybe I should give this the same criticism I gave makeup tests, where it's like a lot of lip service for nothing, really. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure if we see Astrid in this book outside of this moment. I think just like at dinner or something. I'm gonna be yeah. real. This like whole scene in Sweden where they're like having dinner and like talking with the family. I just oh, yeah. kind of yeah, that didn't sit in my brain. Yeah. But regardless, I liked this because they gave actually a little bit of background, a little bit of character to her. Like they say, like she's she's an outdoorsy person. She has always been an outdoorsy person. And also she's trans and mm -hmm. her family. Like, I find it really cute that the scrapbook or the photo album only has photos that she is comfortable with. Yeah. My family didn't do that. I had to steal my high school graduation photo Ugh. and replace it with one of my own. Lord. Anyway. This family is just very wholesome, very kind, very supportive. Like, no wonder she, like, missed them so much. They're fucking great. Yeah. Great family. <laughs> So that's basically it for Sweden. Yeah. And so basically when Maria is like divulging all this information, she realizes that she doesn't really know anything about Peter's past. But guess what comes up when they go to Wisconsin? Peter's past. Peter's past. Peter, tell me about your daddy issues. Peter. <laughs> How many daddy issues are we going to get on this show? So many. So many. So many daddy issues. This is the point where I wrote the note, what the hell is this book about anymore? Yeah. Now it's just like a weird little character study where we're going and seeing like the origins of our book heroes here. And Peter's origin is a lot shorter than, uh, than Maria's. Peter's story is that he was really close with his mom and never close with his dad. And then his mom died. Damn. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. to a girl boss. And he and his father did not talk much after that, even though he was like end of high school, something like that. He was like 12 when his mom died. Oh, OK. Yeah, he was like in middle school. And basically, he and his mom were very similar, like more creative people. You know, and his dad was very practical, you know, and so his dad criticized his mother's choice to leave her steady medical transcript where the fuck job she had to open her own like interior design company or store because she was like really crafty. And so like Peter often stresses that 
His father loved his mother, but he did not understand her. Mm-hmm. It's very clear that that is the case where like he talks and he doesn't seem like a bad guy. And this is like a kind of parallel, like his relationship with his dad is a parallel to his relationship with Maria because it's like there are things about each other that they do not understand, that they cannot understand. Yeah. So we'll see more of his I don't even want to call it misunderstanding. It's just because I feel like misunderstanding implies that like someone said some dumb shit and someone misinterpreted it. His conflict. Yeah. Or like, I feel like lack of understanding is is yeah. more accurate to what I'm trying to say. So yeah, because like, I mean, his dad doesn't seem like a bad guy, just like kind of clueless. Yeah. He also does not want Peter to be an actor. Yeah. Even now he's he's just like, you know, once the show ends, what do you even have? Mm-hmm. It seems like his dad also thinks that Peter has like wasted potential because Peter graduated like summa cum laude, I think, something like that, and has always been like super smart. And his dad was like, you could have excelled in like any field. Why choose this one where there's no stability whatsoever? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just one of those things where that is his way of showing that he cares because he wants his son to be financially stable and to be able to afford, you know, having a life and not have to like constantly worry about whether or not he's going to get a job and be able to like pay his bills and shit. He's not wired to understand why Peter would want to be an actor. Yeah. And so he starts like criticizing Peter at some point and Maria like stands up for him in a way that's really nice. And I don't think that Peter's had anyone stand up for him before. I really liked this part because Mm -hmm. Maria knew exactly how to handle Peter's father, where his dad would start like talking about how he's training for a triathlon or something. And Maria would be like, "Okay, like talk about whatever it is you're interested in. And then when he became critical of Peter, Maria either found a way to kind of redirect the conversation or defended him in a way that wasn't like aggressive or like she wasn't trying to like fight with him. She was being very tactful. Incredibly tactful. His dad says something along the lines of how like Peter has always excelled at everything he's done. It sucks that he had to wait until he got this role to get awards and stuff. Uh, She's like, I agree with you, but you know, wouldn't you think that him persevering through all that is just like a really is is a sign that he has like a really good character and blah, 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 blah. His dad's like, oh, like you have a point. So she found a way to disagree with him while also saying like, I understand why you feel this way, but also think of it like this. It's also a very good thing. She just handles it like a freaking champ. She does. So after this trip, they're at the point of I love yous. I don't remember the actual scene where they say I love you. Was it notable? Um, It was cute. Hang on. So after like dinner and stuff with his dad or whatever, they're talking. And he says, like mom, I was striking out for the unknown. Like mom, I had something to prove to him and to myself and to the world. He kissed her knuckles, each fingertip, her palms, once they opened like a flower under the gentle stroke of his thumb. But unlike mom, I had enough time on this earth to find the partner I needed. Someone who's not just my lover, but my friend too. Someone who can understand me as well as... It was too soon. Despite all their years together, it was too soon. And he wouldn't presume to tell her the contents of her own heart, even if he hoped he knew what they were. 
but she didn't hesitate because she was Maria and she was everything. She didn't hesitate for even a moment. Love you, she said, her voice steady and sure. Someone who can understand you and love you. When she met his eyes, he couldn't look away. She smiled and the sun might as well have reappeared on the horizon. Someone like me. It's cute. Very cute. But then he like doesn't know how to say I love you back. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, you love me too, right? And he's like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I do. And then then they like have sex again or whatever. And he says, I love you, Maria. I love you. You could see that he was not not conflicted, but you could see that it was difficult for him because he'd been burned before and he has like Mm -hmm. his daddy issues and his mom's dead, you know. (laughs) This is probably the first time he said I love you to another person since since his fiance left him. Which at this point was like a decade ago. You know, this man does not end phone calls with his father with I love you. Oh, he doesn't even call his father, probably. Yeah. (laughs) And... In the six years that they were filming the show, he hadn't like slept with anyone or kissed anyone because he was so Mm -hmm. hung up on Maria. So it had been at least a decade since he had last told somebody he loved them, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. So they decide to move in together. Is there anything you want to say about that? No, it's just that she has decided to stay in LA because it was either stay in LA and find her own place or like go back to Sweden, which was both like very viable options on her part. And so mm-hmm. she was like, all right, well, I can find my own place. Or I can move in with you. And he's like, babe, move in with me in my gated community. There's like fucking is running gag about cows that I just did not fucking care about. Yeah, I don't know. He's afraid of cows. Yeah, there were several running gags in this that like were kind of funny at first, and I say kind of very generously, mm-hmm. and just got fucking so exhausting to read about as this book went Overstayed on. Overstayed their welcome. Overstayed their welcome. Uh, they weren't even, some of these things weren't even welcome in the first place. I'm like, why the fuck are you here? Yeah. I, I, you, you did not receive an invitation. Yeah, the thing with like how she carries around a jar of gross, like pickled fish with her, yeah. just like threaten him with, I guess. To like hit him with that she was gonna hit him with the the jar or some shit. Yeah, to like jokingly threaten him or something. Yeah. The only bit with that that I thought was funny was like towards the end where she's like, "Do you think I enjoy lugging this this jar of fish around? It's very heavy in my in in my uh in my pockets." I was like, just her acknowledging that it's very weird for her to do this, even for a joke, is kind of funny. That and I like, I do think it was like funny that she always managed to pull it out from somewhere. People were like, where the fuck are you keeping that thing? But again, it just got played over and over and over again. And I was like, stop. Like, it was funny the first time where it's just like, where the fuck did you get that fucking jar from? But then it, yeah, it just overstayed its welcome. Yep. They go to like some fundraising event that Alex is holding, Alex being one of their co-stars. And they're like not hiding it at this point. So they I don't think they ever like officially go public. So more than like, like they don't make an announcement or anything. It's kind of like, all right, like people saw us. We're not going to hide it. So there's that. The next big thing to happen, which really just is the end of the book, (laughs) is that now that Peter and Maria have just shut up to stardom or whatever, they're being offered more roles. And Peter has been offered the role of it seemed like he was offered the role of house essentially or 
Mr. Gray from Gray's Anatomy. I don't fucking watch the show, so I don't know what's ha- what happens. Is that what it was? I thought it was on like an NCIS thing. Oh yeah, it was like an NCIS thing. But he was like he was like a lead investigator, or, like a medical examiner or something. Something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, but on um, like so yeah, it was like NCIS and he was he didn't even audition for this role. So man's is offer only now. Yeah. Not really, but he was offered this role and it would be a three-year contract during which he would have to move to Vancouver to film. Vancouver. Because everything's filmed in Vancouver. Everything is filmed in Vancouver. I I gotta show you, this is my one small diversion here. Do you know the Vancouver, the Vancouver song? Vancouver song? Can't say I do. Beautiful city of mine. This is the place where I It's got such energy. The the fact that it's three minutes alone is like surprising to me. I thought it was going to be just like a little like little jingle. No, it's a whole ass song about Vancouver, apparently. Beautiful city of mine. So, yeah, so it would be a three year contract and he would have to be in Vancouver to film. He hasn't accepted this job offer yet. His manager or agent, I don't fucking know. Even after watching BoJack Horseman, I still don't know the difference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they ever explained the difference in BoJack Horseman either. Yeah. <laughs> Is like essentially just like looking over the contract and seeing if anything looks iffy and would have Peter review it once he's done his initial read through. But Peter's super stoked because he he wants to propose to Maria, but he also wants to be able to support them financially. Mm-hmm. Like, Mans has got his house. He wants to be able to pay for his house, you know? He's a working actor. He wants to work, you know? And also, like, he's riding this wave now, and he's afraid that if he stops for a little bit, he's going to fall off. Which is a realistic fear, to be honest. He he has, like, I don't, I just, I'm able to understand him more than I am Mm -hmm. Maria, but also that probably it might be because i was raised in a very capitalist country so i have different values yeah. <laughs> yeah so let's talk about the conflict where he tells marie about this job and she's like so you're going to be in vancouver for three to six months a year something like that when we just moved in together and you say that you're in love with me and stuff and she says like this role isn't worth you leaving me not even because like oh it's just a job But I think she also says something about, like, the quality of the role. She doesn't say anything, but he realizes that it's not, like, even a really, like, meaty character role. So I don't think he ever says it out loud, but we do see him, like, at least think it. Yeah. Okay. So we both agree, Nicole, that this conflict is bad. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's fucking pissed me off, actually. Here's the thing. I thought the conflict itself was really reasonable in a lot of ways, because it's trauma versus trauma. Mm -hmm. He has a fear of like, letting go of this and being like a failed actor. 
and having to like give up on his dreams and on financial security. And Maria has trauma around people abandoning her, which she perceives this would be. Why she can't just move to Vancouver is beyond me. Considering a lot of filming is done there anyway, and as an actor, like... Yeah. How much filming is really done in L.A.? Exactly. It's more of like a hub kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But regardless, the short version of this is that they break up. And later on, Peter is at like a... He's giving away a scholarship to a college he goes to his alma mater yeah yeah and they're having this like a alumni scholarship thing and he's there and he runs into one of his co-workers like the producer or some shit nava nava something like that yeah Uh, because she also went there but which we learned early on in the book and they like start talking or whatever this is i'm I'm gonna be real i kind of like zoned out from here to the end yep yeah, have to agree. So I was so tired at this point. Yeah. At this event, they play clips from his fellow actors on Game of Thrones. And Maria is one of the people they got a clip from. And this was from before they broke up. And it has all these like very sweet things that she says about him. And he's like, oh, God, I've made a huge mistake. I can just deal with it. Like, I'll give this up. To be with her. And he does. And I must say, they say that Maria is in therapy or was in therapy. Both these characters have been to therapy at some point. Yeah. Which I was astonished by, frankly. Good for them. I think that Maria should have done some more therapy about this and not told her boyfriend to give up his job for her. What do you think, Nicole? Oh, this part pissed me the fuck off. <laughs> yeah, go off. Because go off, I hear it. the last like big fucking chunk of this book is essentially the author justifying to us how they both compromised. When the way I look at it, the only person who compromised here was fucking... Is Peter. Yeah. He's the one who gives shit up. Where he's like, oh, like I don't have to prove anything to anyone and blah, 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 blah. Like, okay, sure. Like, cool. I'm glad that you addressed that because, like, your trauma. But, like, you're still sacrificing a big role that would provide you with, like, financial stability and also would, like, open a lot of doors for you. Why? Because your girlfriend's, like self-conscious about you leaving her when there are like very clear compromises here where he was like we we can find a place in vancouver and you can come up here and like i can visit you and or i can come to la when in between shoots or whatever the fuck and she just doesn't accept that no i don't know she says it but at least from her perspective like we see she thinks he doesn't love me enough Girl, shut the fuck up. I was so mad. I was like, what the fuck do you Mm -hmm. mean he doesn't love you enough? It's very contrived. It pissed me off because literally the last several pages of the book I skimmed through because I was just getting I was just mad at this point because it literally was just the author trying to justify to us like, oh, he's actually not giving anything up. He's not compromising because like this, 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 this and this. Where it's just like, cool, like you're just, you're saying nonsense at me right now because I'm not buying it. This isn't compromise. He's giving everything up for her. Yeah. It just pissed me off. Uh, Like, like it's one thing for them to do it. And it's another thing for them to spend several pages trying to justify it to me because I'm not fucking buying it. Yeah. Don't piss on my shoes and tell me it's raining. Exactly. He's giving up everything for her. Yeah. Don't try to justify it. If he's like, I will do this because I love her this much. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, cool. Roll with it. 
you know? Don't be like, oh no, see, you dumb bitch. He's actually <laughs> not doing it because of this. He's doing it for himself too. It's wimping out. It's stupid. It's like, if you're going to do it, like commit to it. Make him be like, hey, I love you so much that I'm giving up this big ass opportunity. And while it sucks, like I choose you before I choose anything else. And I feel like that's also more true to like what she would want. Yeah. You know, where, where it's just like, where, cause like earlier on when they're doing the whole like losing weight situation, she was like, he will always choose his career before me. And that's why I can't ever pursue anything with him. And so if, if at this point he says, hey, I'm doing this for you because you are more important than this job, then okay. Like, I feel like that's, you know, that, that that makes more sense to me based on like what we've seen earlier on. Yeah. Don't fucking try to justify this to me using fucking this contrived ass logic. It's stupid. Yeah. So like we both agreed that we thought that the fact that the girl from Love Under Quarantine mm -hmm. having to like delete her whole book because it was like too close to her football player boyfriend's life. We both agreed that that was like kind of shitty that she had to do that but at least they committed exactly this oh there was something else in another book we read where i was like oh in mountain retreat murder where he's like typing up all this bullshit and it's like wouldn't a grand gesture of how much he loves what's her face mm -hmm. be for him to delete his manuscript yeah and that's the thing where it's like if you're gonna do a gesture like this commit to it make it a grand gesture don't feed me bullshit and then expect me to be like, oh my God, like, look, they've grown so much as people. It doesn't need to be that complicated. It doesn't. It can just be, I love you this much. I am sacrificing this and I don't care because I love you and you're more important to me than anything else. Yeah, but yet they don't. Here's the thing. When this happens in Love Under Quarantine, the fact that whatever the hell her name was, had to delete her book to appease her boyfriend. It makes me call like misogyny in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. she has to give up something for a guy. Yeah. But I'm not normally this person, but I'm going to say a similar thing that I said in makeup tests where like, why does he have to be the one to come groveling back? Yeah. And to like apologize and to give up everything. Like, why is that his job? Because she's a girl boss. Exactly. Because she's a girl boss. And because like, her apologizing is a sign of weakness at this point. Where that's like some patriarchal bullshit too. Like apologizing means you're weak. Uh-huh. I was literally just about to say that. Where it's just like, you ever want to be a feminist so hard, you just revert back to fucking being a misogynist? <laughs> <laughs> like that's just what, that's what happens. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I don't know. I know that at the beginning of this podcast, we made fun of like, oh, when is it men's history month? <laughs> But like, I don't know, why does the man here have to do this? Yeah. Can the woman be like, I realized that I was responding from a place of trauma and I was acting because I mean, I guess because it sounds shitty to be like, I was being a little hysterical, <laughs> you know, in a sense, even though it's, you know, it's, it's not cool to use that term. You know, I was I was acting irrationally. Like as women and as mentally ill women, we can say that. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want to be the author to write, I'm sorry, baby, I was in hysterics. You are right, my big strong man. But you can just write it better. You're a good author, not a good editor. 
but you're a good author mm-hmm. and you could have written it better. <sighs> it was just frustrating. Yep. Anyway, at the end of the book, he sacrifices everything and she's like, I came to my senses, blah, 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 blah. So it, this is totally a compromise, but she doesn't she doesn't give anything up. Nope. She doesn't sacrifice anything for the relationship. It's so stupid. I, like the more I talk about it, the more it pisses me off, even though I keep saying the same shit. Yeah. So as is tradition, I'll read the last paragraph of the book. Mm. So they're at a cast party. They've gotten married, by the way. We don't get out of that so easily. <laughs> you thought that just because they they had a huge third act fight and it's like the end of the book. No, no, no they got married before the epilogue. Don't worry. They upheld the institution. Uh, so God fucking flipping through fucking pages here <laughs> in the acknowledgments. When I got 30,000 words into the story, I knew something was wrong. She read over and what I'd written and patiently helped me figure out where I'd erred and how to fix my mistakes. Didn't fix it enough, gotta say. Nope. Anyway, so... With Maria snuggled under his arm and so many people he loved less than a dozen steps away, even a stubborn, surly pessimist like him was forced to admit the obvious. It was unexpected but true. For the first time in his life, he, Peter Reedton of all people, believed in happy endings. He had to. He had no choice. After all, he was living one, wasn't he? Oh, also, I gotta say, in the epilogue, uh, he did get, like, a better job offer as a result of turning down the CSI Miami one. CSI Vancouver. Okay, I'm gonna go back to that real quick, because something. another thing that pissed me off is that, because I'm still angry about this, mm-hmm. it was never a done deal. Yeah. He hadn't, like, signed the offer or anything. So there was still room for discussion between him and Maria, but Maria was like, I'm leaving. Yeah, she shut down all discussion. Peter deserves better. He deserves me. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, call her. Her number is 203. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, fuck that. That's the end of the book. We're done. Yeah. So, Nicole, let's move into rankings. Peter Reedton, smash or pass? Oh, smash. 100% 100% smash. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a soft smash. He's, he's like kind of charming. He's, he's, he's got the autism. I, I like it. I just want him to choke slam me through a wall. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> That's what I want. I'm, I'm thinking smash. Like, I'm not even thinking personality wise. I'm just thinking like the way he looks, the way he fucks, like smash. Mm, true. He is pretty romantic. He is pretty steamy. He's a very passionate guy. I do like that about him. He's passionate. So, Nicole, Maria Iverson, smash or pass? Ooh, okay. I'm going to be real with you. I've been real Mm -hmm. with you this whole episode. (laughs) I keep saying Mm -hmm. that. I came in thinking it was going to be a smash. And then I was like, oh, maybe, like, I'm like, okay, smash still, but, like, soft smash. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, this last bit pissed me off so bad, I don't even want to smash anymore. She pissed me off. Pass. She's hot, so, like, smash, but she still pissed me off. I am going to almost discard the last bit of this book. Okay, before that, smash. (laughs) Yeah, before that, smash. Even after that, smash, I can fix her, to be honest. I can do this better than Peter. I'm not a pushover like that. No, she pissed me off. I don't don't deal with nonsense. That's fair. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I'm not wasting my time dealing with garbage. I'm too old for that shit. Yeah. (laughs) Nicole, what do you give this book for steaminess? Okay. I'm just basing it on what we had, not what I wish we had. Yes. Wait, uh, I'll give it like a (laughs) 3.3. Yeah, I'll give it like a three and a half. 
Yeah. Uh, there was some good stuff in here. I liked the sex scene that we got. I liked some of the teasing. I liked the passion during what distinctly was not a sex scene. It was a simulated sex scene. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting way to build sexual tension. Now, here's some more some reasoning behind my rating. I liked what we got, but we also got shit I didn't want. Like with mm. them being horny randomly and like me not giving a shit we're like towards the end when he's about to propose he like gets down on he gets down oh, on yeah. his knee and she's like oh you're gonna eat me out and it's just like girl shut the fuck up like it, this isn't <laughs> funny like it's yeah. just stupid it's just it's a lot you know what it is it's forced mm-hmm. it's forced and then it's forced down our throats and it gets fucking exhausting and so what we got was great but we also got shit i didn't fucking care about i didn't want i didn't like it's the story of the whole book yeah they had a good thing and they ruined it yep too much too much okay claudia what would you give this for what do we do next steamy dreaminess dreaminess. (laughs) uh i don't know like a three it's not exactly the best romance of all time here you know yeah it's like they're cute together they're passionate I like that they are playful with each other. I really like that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I like that they're family oriented, but Peter is not family oriented. No. Uh, so I'm just going to go back to my uh, Smash Pass and say that I like that Maria is family oriented specifically because her family rules. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was just okay. This was not notable for me. Like, as far as dreaminess goes, like, there are very good moments. I'm thinking when Maria, like, defended him to his Mm. father. Maria including him in the whole, like, I won't lose weight and neither will he, even though Peter Mm. didn't, like, speak up. So I want to say for the first, like, I can't even, like, say, like, 60% because, like, this book is just, like, so weird in terms of how it was, like, spaced out. I found Maria real dreamy at first. And just the fucking ending just pissed me off so bad. She pissed me off. Whereas Peter, I didn't find very dreamy at first. And then after a while, I found him dreamier. Yeah. The scales evened out. Yeah. I'll give it a three. Just like real middle of the road, too. It's okay. All right, Nicole, what do you give this book for meaniness? I'm going to give it like a 1.7. I'm going to give it a two and be generous. I thought some of the AO3 stuff was funny. Mm-hmm. I thought that there were some fun jokes in here. I enjoyed like the first scene of them in Sweden is Peter talking about Swedish fish. I don't remember the context, but he's like, I kind of expected them to sp- to sell Swedish fish in Sweden, but I guess it's actually an American thing. And then yeah. he's forced to explain what Swedish fish are to <laughs> to Marie's mother. And then we're like, haha, we're fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, I don't know. There's some some fun bits, but it's just it's too much as usual. Yep. It's just too long. Yeah, there really were very fun bits. And I know we talked about like the fish thing before. It's like, where the hell did you pull that jar out from? But then after the fucking 11th time we see that fucking joke, it gets annoying. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even just old at this point. Like it pisses me off. I'm tired of it. I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. Get that fish out of here. Get that fuck the fish out of here. So final thoughts. I wanted to like this book. There was a lot I liked about this book. I liked the representation. I liked the jokes the first time around. Mm-hmm. The smut was good. I, so good that I wish there was more. I always like a complicated like family dynamic. I like how it adds like substance to our characters. So I really liked that. 
I liked seeing our characters mostly grow. <laughs> there was a lot I liked. And it upsets me that it's overshadowed by how much I didn't like. And what I didn't like was that we got too much of the shit I liked. Yep. It, it's just, it's too much. This book, you could have ripped 200 pages out of it. Mm-hmm. Like not even lying. You could have ripped half this book out. Yeah. And I would have been fine. Yep. I wouldn't have even felt that it was moving too fast. Nope. Because overall, the important parts of this book move really fast and they just hit like a glacial pace over like nothing. A whole lot of nothing happens. It's like we didn't need this in here. It was just just too much. We didn't need all these background characters. Yeah. And like there are authors on this show where we've read a book and we've not really liked the book. And we've been like, I want to read another book by you because I think that you can do better. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I think you can do better. Mm -hmm. I don't want to read another book by Olivia Dade because it's very clear that she can't edit. Nope. Or like her editor can't tell her no. There were a couple of examples of good writing in this book where I was like, this is good. Fucking just like parse it down. We don't need all of this stuff. I like her character work. It upsets me. I wanted to like this. I liked this at first. I went into this and I was like, all right, like, I'm excited. I started reading it. I'm like, yo, this kind of fucking slaps. We start off with them like fucking and then like, oh, and it's like, you know, while I saw it was going, obviously, it's like, oh, my God, like, haha, one night stand, but then they're going to work together. Oh, my God. You know, I was it was fun. I was giddy. And then it just got so it just got too much. And it was so upsetting to me. I'm so upset because I really wanted to like this. I hear genuine like grief in your voice. here. I'm so upset. Yeah. Peter, I'd still smash Peter, though. Yeah. I'd go to Vancouver with you, baby. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Vancouver. I didn't have the same strong reaction as you. Because (laughs) I went into this book and I was like, I don't really want to read this book. (laughs) (laughs) I had that same buildup of like, oh, this is actually pretty good. But then when I hit that that decline, I was like, this is why I didn't want to read this book. Yeah. Something about the length and what the plot was about and the pace that it was going. I was like, this isn't going to have a satisfying ending. And let me tell you. That is how I feel about a lot of contemporary romance novels. We've read a pretty good variety of books on this show, Mm -hmm. but overall, we've skipped a lot of contemporary romance novels. Like, we haven't really read that many. I would say this and, like, the one we didn't like, Makeup Test. Makeup Test. Like, I would describe those as contemporary romance novels, like the shit that's in right now, you know? Yeah. The, like, fluffy mainstream shit. Yeah, the the very, like, fluffy, tropey mainstream mm-hmm. shit. I love me some fucking romance, all right? I mean, like, we do this podcast for a reason. Mm-hmm. I write, like, romance fix. I read romance outside of what we read for the podcast. And a lot of the shit I've been reading has been pissing me off because there's, like, a formula to it now. And you can tell. You can tell... Oh, okay. Let me let me go on like fucking tvtropes.com, whatever the fuck it's called, <laughs> and look up a couple of tropes. So we have enemies to lovers, close proximity. And like, you know, you list like five and then build a story around those. It's not storytelling anymore. You're just like building a story around tropes. You know what happened? TikTok happened. 
TikTok happened. Yeah. It's the TikTokification of books, of romance specifically, because mm-hmm. like there are two types of like TikTok romance books that I know of, right? Mm-hmm. There's this, this like contemporary romance, like easy to market. Here's like five tropes that are in it. Mm-hmm. Working together, enemies to lovers, one night stand. And then there's the other one, which is like the weirder side where like you write kind of like an offbeat one. And then you have one really fucking weird scene that everyone on TikTok is supposed to talk about. Mm-hmm. And that is plaguing the industry right now. And it's it's just it's capitalism, too. You yeah. know, like not to just go on a rant about capitalism again, but like, like capitalism, <laughs> it, capitalism ruins art. It, it does because everything has to be profitable. And people who have money to invest like this don't want to take risks. So Mm -hmm. the couple of people who do take risks invest in something that's really good. And then everyone else says, I want something exactly like that. It's exhausting. And it's like, you know, I'm glad people are reading. Like, I mean, book talk has saved many a bookstore, which is mm-hmm. crazy. But like, and I'm like, that's great. But it also is very upsetting that people are praising and glorifying mediocrity. Yeah, exactly. This book isn't bad. It's just mediocre. Yeah. It's 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 upsetting to me. I can go on about this for like hours. I think we should just leave it there. Yeah. Unless you've got anything more substantial to say. No. I just <laughs> the I think the last thing I will leave off on is that the best books that we have read on the show and the best books that I have read outside of the show of the romance genre have been offbeat, not mainstream queer romances. Queers do it best. It's because we don't have to be as marketable because being a queer romance already cuts your market. Yeah. And I think an audience that's willing to read a queer romance is willing to read a weirder story. Mm-hmm. Well, because I mean, also as like queer people, like I want I want my representation, you know, I'll, I'll exactly. take it where I can get it. Uh, yeah, I just I don't know. It's just the queer romances have just fucking blown everything else out of the water. Basically every time. I don't, I don't think we have read a bad queer romance. No. Maybe Second Wind. But that wasn't even bad. That was just like, it existed. Yeah. And even then, it's like, it, it wasn't what we were like looking for, you know? Like it, It's not. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the books that we read are books that we genuinely are like, oh my God, like this could be good. Or it could be like really bad and we can like have a fun time with it. With Second Wind, we didn't really know what to expect. but And, and it wasn't like our cup of tea for a variety of reasons. Like one being that the characters are significantly older than us. Mm. And it's like, it's not like fun and porny, like the stuff yeah. we like, you know. So it's kind of an outlier. But like the queer romances we've read have been like really good overall. Always off the chain. I mean, if this is your first episode of this podcast... I mean, let me bring up the master calendar here, because I recommend you read like Under a Falling Star, AITA. Love Me Whole. Yeah. W-H-O-L-E. Um, I'm Gay for My Living Billionaire Jet Plane. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I mean, one last stop. Fucking one last stop. Oh, my God. One last stop was a fucking masterpiece. You want a 400 plus page amazing romance? One last stop. Fucking forget shipwrecked. I find myself thinking about One Last Stop very often. That is like a contemporary romance novel. Like I feel like textbook definition where like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, but it's, it's not like the like very like formulaic TikTok bullshit, you know? 
Yeah, it's so offbeat. I couldn't predict that book. And it's because Casey McQuiston is telling a story. Mm -hmm. She's not building shit to fit around a bunch of tropes her editor selected, like fucking the chick who wrote Love Hypothesis did for her other books after that. It pisses me off. It's it's very upsetting. Books shouldn't be written by committee. Exactly. Unless you're plural. (laughs) I don't know. Like these books can be fun, easy reading, you know? Yeah. But not everything needs to be high art. I know we've said this multiple times on this podcast. Not everything needs to be high art. But let's not pretend that shit that isn't is. Yeah. That's enough. Well, we'll we'll end it with that. All right. Well, Claudia, what are we reading next week? So we don't actually have anything on our list yet, but I have a pick for you. (gasps) And I'm not going to tell you what it's about. Oh, I'm not even going to tell you like a, a genre. I'm going to give you the title. Okay. And the series title. Oh, the series. Next time, we are going to be reading Bonded by Thorns, which is the first book of the Beasts of the Briar series by Elizabeth Helen. Readers, I think, I I fucking hope you're in for a treat. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where can the people find you? You can find me at Punk Dyke on Twitter. P-U-N-K-D-Y-K-E. Can't believe that nobody had that at. And you can find me at Sexy Pagliacci on the tweeters. That's S-E-X-Y-P-A-G-L-I-A-C-C-I, the sad clown. Follow the show at the 3LW podcast on Twitter. We are on Patreon where you can get fun little extras. Where else are we? We're everywhere. We try to be everywhere. Come find me in my home. (laughs) My address is in the episode description below. (laughs) As always. As always. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for this week. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by our patrons June B, The Evergreen Collective, and Coralie, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. 
Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th.